Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight we had Luke Ford from Woodford Reserve in the house, the one and only former seven grand bartender, Luke Ford, tasting us through this legendary line of bourbons. We tried their bourbon, their double oaked bourbon, their rye whiskey expression, one of my faves, um, the straight malt. All of it is made in Versailles, Kentucky, not Versailles. Keep it straight there. Yankee. Um, and it was just a great conversation. We got to talk about their master distiller, one of the true geniuses in the bourbon world, the creative artist that is master distiller, Chris Morris. Check this podcast out. Tell your friends if it's something that you think they might enjoy. And always listen and drink responsibly, please. I don't want to hear about it later. I like the slow clap. I think the slow clap's fun. It's a group activity. Evan needs to follow your lead more. You're just very, like, caffeinated. You clap very quickly, and it's like... It's supposed to be a slow build. Well, we're really excited tonight. Welcome to the Whiskey Society, everyone. Yeah, thanks for coming out. We're all mic'd up tonight because there were so many RSVPs for this event. It's a special night when we get to have family in the house. We have Mr. Luke Ford from Woodford Reserve. And I know you guys love the juice. That's why there's so many folks here. But also, we love Luke because Luke is a seven grand bartender in the past. We, yeah. How many years did you work here, Luke? It was almost uh, almost five years I was here. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Right after opening, and then um, five years after that, I decided to cry myself away from you guys. It's been really hard. It's, all right. it's been really hard, guys. But now you're a brand Put ambassador. Yeah. yeah. So it's now good. you come back bearing gifts every I do. time. Very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited, too. Yeah. Um, and the, this is a really cool night because you guys are going to get to taste... Some of the single malt expression that it's you guys not a, Well, we have a new Kentucky straight malt. Straight malt. It's brand new. We launched it in June, and then about two weeks after we launched, we were sold out across the U.S. We thought, you know, we have plenty of stock for this little brand that we're like our new expression. It's going to be great, which it is great, but we were blown away by the response from people. It just got snatched up right away. But I have special reserves in my collection, so I brought some for you all to try tonight. Oh, and then so Chris, our master so is working on um, some sensory experiments to hopefully get us a next batch early next year. That's excellent. Yeah. So we're drinking off your personal stash tonight? Yes. My, this came from my home bar. <laughs> so so it's, it's Luke's private tasting tonight. Yeah. We're, we're drinking from his own liquor cabinet. Yeah. So this is great. So let's talk about uh, Woodford. What's the first expression we're going to taste tonight? The bourbon, right? Yeah, definitely. And so I know a little bit about this brand. You guys are using pot stills at, at Woodford and big, yeah. huge pot stills. Now, how is that different from like the rest of the bourbon world? What makes Woodford unique? Well, thanks, Pedro. I feel this is a great, like, I haven't had this like interview style with you before. And it's really, it feels very sweet and romantic. I feel like we're on an NPR or something. But everyone's watching, so we can't get yeah. too romantic. Well, oh, we could. <laughs> hey, hashtag love wins, man. We're in California, right? Awesome. Actually, can I start off with a joke? Please. <laughs> is that cool with you guys? Yeah. All right, this is my favorite joke. <laughs> um, you guys can hear me over there, right? Yeah, because you guys buy the speaker. That's cool. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, so there's two whales sitting in a bar, and one whale looks at the other and he goes, 
And the other whale goes, man, Frank, you are really fucked up right now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I want us to all kind of let's let's let that be the mood for tonight. Okay. <laughs> let's definitely have some fun. We're here to just drink whiskey and have a good time. That's the whole point of all this. Uh, it's not trying to save the world. We are just here to enjoy ourselves, and this is a luxury we have. So I want to talk to you about the good juice in this bottle, and uh, maybe I'll just start off with the whole Woodford spiel, and then we can dive into the the minutia. Yeah. If we need to get like as nerdy as we want to get. Feel free to ask me questions. I just came back from the distillery again last week, and I've been on the brand now for about two years. And um, it's always a really great learning experience when I'm there. I always come away with some new stuff. So I've got some interesting new things to talk about. But you know, this is an always changing dialogue for me. So if there are questions, um, or if you've heard me talk about Woodford before, uh, feel free to just jump in if, if I leave something out or if you want to know something extra. Cool. Okay. So. Woodford as a brand has been around for about 21 years now, and it was started by Owsley Brown's vision to create a, a premium bourbon brand at the time when 21 years ago, bourbon was in decline, big time. Actually, most whiskey 20 years ago was in a just a downward spiral, with the exception of maybe a couple single malts or some blended malts in Asian markets and a couple other markets throughout the world. And Owsley was responsible for taking Jack Daniels. Uh, Owsley Brown is the Brown Foreman family. Uh, are you guys familiar with that? It's a pretty big company here in the US. We're actually the fifth largest spirit supplier in the world. We're the, I think the number one uh, family owned operated in the US. But Owsley took Jack around the world and turned it into the global brand it was with the help of people like Frank Sinatra and, and rock and roll. As he was, you know, traveling around, he saw that people drink differently based on, you know, the terroir, the, where they grew up. Different factors always influence different drinking styles. In France, it's lots of cognacs and, and big burgundies. And in Eastern Europe, it's lots of heavy, hearty beers and vodka. And South America's rums and cachaças. And so I came back to Kentucky, where we'd been making bourbon for quite some time with brands like Old Forester and Early Times. And uh, he had this crazy notion at the time to make this new bourbon that would have a distillery tour open to the public and it would have something inside of the, every bottle that someone anywhere in the world could find something that they like inside of a glass of this Woodford Reserve, which didn't have a name at the time. But that was a lofty goal and everybody told them, you know, this is a really stupid thing. We already have these bourbon brands that we like mm -hmm. <laughs> and nobody's drinking them, <laughs> right? So. Why would we go out and do this? And he said, no, it's like kind of that field of dreams. If we build it, they will come type of foreshadowing or foresight. And uh, because he was the CEO and, and Mr. Owsley Brown, he just said, screw you, I'm doing it anyway. So we're going to do it. So that's how the idea of Woodford was born. And then the process of making Woodford is all about intentionality and, again, finding those flavors. So how do you coax flavor out of every step of making a bourbon whiskey? Well, to make whiskey, to make bourbon whiskey, to make pretty much any whiskey, you need five steps. You need a water source, you need grains, you need to ferment those grains, you need to distill those grains, and then mature that uh, mash or that, dis that distillate. So it's water, grains, fermentation, maturation, 
or distillation maturation. Is that your alarm telling you that you should be doing whiskey Probably society right now? right now? I think so. It might actually be. Thank God I made it. Uh, um, so it was about these five sources of flavor and how you be intentional with each one that will give you the final result. You know, if you use, you know, reverse osmosis water for everything, it's going to taste a little bit different than if you use the heavy water that's rich in minerality. So, so this idea is born. Now there's this trying to be intentional. So there's this beautiful plot of land in Woodford County in Versailles, Kentucky, which the French major in me just wants to cringe every time. I was like, oh, we're going to Versailles in Kentucky? I didn't know there was a Versailles. It's Versailles. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so there's this awesome uh, historical landmark site that Brown Foreman had kind of bought and sold over the years. They have lots of real estate holdings. They're a pretty big deal. And um, there's this site, it's called the Old Oscar Pepper Distillery, which I'm sure Pedro is familiar with. So Oscar Pepper and uh, James, Dr. James Crow developed the process of sour mashing whiskey, and they developed a lot of techniques that are still used today to make consistent quality bourbon and, and really the kind of the quality control checks that we still use to this day in making bourbon whiskey. And the reason they set up camp there to first start distilling whiskey was because of that water source. It's a really beautiful, naturally filtered Kentucky limestone water aquifer below the ground. And still to this day, we use that same water source that uh, the peppers were using. Now, we don't have to touch that water with any sort of filtration because it never sees the light of day. So this water is great for two things, making delicious whiskey and then race horses. So we have more horses in Woodford County than there are people. We share a property line with American Pharaoh, and it's just like, has anybody been to the Woodford Distillery? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Absolutely. Isn't it beautiful? And there's this one road, you turn off the highway, and then, or like the highway, which is not really a highway, you turn off the big road, and you go on the side road, and I swear it's like you're in a movie, and there's somebody like always waiting with like a walkie-talkie, be like, okay, now send out the horses, they're here. <laughs> you know, it's like, and you're just like driving, like, whoa, there's just like all these beautiful ponies. <laughs> it's really cool. But that water is great for them. It gives them the strength and the nutrients they need for their strong bones. And so Owsley said, we're going to do it here. This is a great spot. It's got a lot of history. We don't claim that history as our own, obviously. We don't have anything to do with the peppers. But uh, it, there is a lot of rich history there. And it's a great water source and a bare-bones facility that had been bought and sold by LeBro and Graham Distilling. Uh, so we had this giant relic of a distillery with nothing inside of it, but that gave us kind of free reign to now create this new bourbon brand in Woodford County with this great water source. Then the second source of flavor would be those grains, right? So our grain recipe for our bourbon, our double oak, which is the same whiskey as our, our bourbon with a twist on the maturation process, our grain recipe for our bourbon is 72% corn, 18% rye, 10% malted barley. So that's a high rye bourbon. Very high rye. Um, higher than turkey. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of people will say that, you know, there's a, a weeded bourbons and there's high rye bourbons. That's typical. The, the three grains you use are either uh, corn, barley, and rye, or corn, barley, and, and wheat. And we don't use any wheat in our production processes until next year, which we'll get to that later. <laughs> but, um, so we have this grain recipe that we really like from our other bourbon brands that works, but we decided at the time, 21 years ago, that we were going to start doing things differently back then for, I don't know, God knows how he had the foresight for this, but he uses all non-GMO grains and decides that he's going to give back to these farms, and we're going to use all Kentucky corn. All of our corn comes from within 100 miles of the distillery, 
and we, we have awesome relationships with these farmers. They want to do right by us because we want to do right by them, which was Owsley's philosophy, which really made a big difference. We get the best corn and, from Kentucky, and then we're getting all high-quality uh, rye and malted barley. Malted barley from parts of Montana, and then the rye we source. Rye is a very finicky grain. Does not grow great in Kentucky. Prefers a little bit of a, a wetter, colder climate. So we're getting rye from all around the country, and then as far north as Canada. But again, non-GMO, and we're developing relationships now with these farms. So we have these, this great grain source, or we make a commitment to a great grain source, right? Then you have to distill these grains into a distiller's beer. You guys familiar with, or ferment these grains into a distiller's beer. You guys familiar with uh, how fermentation works? Right now in this room, there's all kinds of yeast particles just flying around, and, and they're looking for, for sugars to convert into alcohol and then die. If reincarnation is something that is proven to be real, I hope, if you're listening, whoever does that, that I could come back as a yeast strain, because essentially, you just like your whole life is just like sit in a bath, and I'll, specifically at Woodford, because <laughs> like sit in a bath, eat a bunch of sugar, <laughs> piss out alcohol and just shit CO2 and then die. <laughs> like, it's just like, wow, what a life. Pretty awesome. So we scientifically developed, we have a lot of really good ties to the city of Louisville. So the University of Louisville, we hired uh, the, half their chemistry department pretty much, still work for us today. But we've uh, developed our own proprietary yeast strain called WR78, thank you. That's better, hold on, uh, 78B. This is a really aggressive yeast. And the average fermentation time for most bourbon whiskeys is about three days. And that's really all it takes to produce enough alcohol to then go into distillation. But we ferment for about five to seven days because our yeast is very aggressive and also because we kind of temperature control our fermenters. So we keep the temperature down as much as we can to create this long lasting fermentation process. And why would we do that? Well, again, it goes back to flavors. Um, we had a master sommelier at the distillery one time, and, and our master distiller, Chris Morris, who's a legend. You've met Chris. Oh, he's yeah. Like crazy. He's been, in, he's been in the room a few times. Yeah, he's awesome, dude. And he had this master som, and he took him around, and he's showing him around the distillery, and he said, I want you to try this. And he took him over to a seventh-day fermentation tank. You know, it's just kind of the yeast is dying off. We have this, like, big, muddy, mucky-looking beer, you know, and he just dunks it in there. Try this. He takes a sip of it and he goes, ooh, Chris, I don't want to offend you. It's what I think that tastes like. <laughs> and he's like, just tell me. It's okay. You can t tell me. He talks like Ned Flanders, but like, I don't know. It's weird. And he's just like, tell me what it is. And he goes, it tastes like a really shitty Chardonnay. And he's like, well, that's amazing. <laughs> he's like, you're tasting grapes from a mash that has corn, rye, and barley in it. He's like, that's what we're going for. We're going for that fruity note. You'd get a shitty Chardonnay, we're, gonna, we're loving that flavor because this yeast is pr producing these big fruity esters that really carry themselves over to the final product. So we talk about the fruit notes that are inside of Woodford Reserve. A lot of that process, or a lot of that flavor comes from that fermentation process. The question is, what makes, what makes the yeast so important for bourbon production as opposed to a lot of scotch whiskey makers? And the reality is, is it, it's not necessarily the case. The yeast can be very important for a lot of scotch whiskey makers, just as it is for us. But it can be also as unimportant for bourbon makers as it is for us, I mean, for others. So like... Um, it's like a stylistic choice. It is. It's a choice. Basically, the master still is choosing to use 
either a specific yeast strain that's going to bring big fruity esters or just something that's going to create a bunch of alcohol quickly. It's, it's, it's a philosophical thing, you know? Yeah, and it's also, I mean, it is a very much more expensive process to do what we do as opposed to buying the distiller's yeast. So we have to have we have to have constantly creating these cultures and growing them up from a small vial into a beaker into a bigger beaker into a bigger beaker and then until we get to a forty two thousand dollar a forty two thousand gallon tank of yeast and then we're we're fermenting with two thousand gallons of yeast into each forty two thousand gallon I mean it's like we're growing this thing it takes a lot of time and money to do this so of course a lot of people would be like oh, it's, the distillery yeast is fine. Totally fine. <laughs> Works just like just like a charm. So it is. It's 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 a bit of a, a a luxury, but it's also we choose to do that because we believe that it, it has a big impact on the final flavor. So then we move on to distillation. We're the first, we're actually the only bourbon whiskey company that triple distills in copper pot stills. And we had we took this idea from the Irish and the Scottish primarily mostly common in Ireland right now, the triple pot still distillation method. But like I said, we had this bare bones facility. We installed these gorgeous cypress, cypress open air fermenters. And then we have these three absolutely breathtaking copper pot stills that were made for us in Speyside, Scotland, brought over from Scotland. And we used these for our first runs of uh, Woodford Reserve. Then. And you guys all know the difference between the column still and the pot still. There's a difference, difference in flavor. Um, those, that, all that access to copper is creating a really unctuous whiskey that we blend with some column distillate from Brown Foreman Distillery, which is also producing Woodford Reserve on a larger scale for us out of a column still. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, so that's where they make Old Forester. They so make you, Old you're, Forester. You're taking some of the Old Forester still produced stuff and mixing it with the pot still juice. Correct. The Brown Foreman Distillery is making, uh, it's, it's like the Death Star. It's beautiful, gorgeous, really well-oiled machine, but it doesn't have a flaw that you can just shoot one thing at it. And then <laughs> it runs very efficiently, but uh, it's, a, it's an amazing facility. It's actually not open for public tours, but we did just take a group of bartenders through there all last week. High efficiency, lots of turnout, and they're making Old Forester there. They're making a portion of our Woodford Reserve column distillate through a column still for us. It then gets taken over to Versailles and matured in our, our warehouses. But that's a great question too. And then so, so that distillation method is very unique to Woodford Reserves. The only American whiskey uh, I know of that, that has that triple pot still as a part of its uh, backbone and characteristic. And then the maturation process, arguably the most important flavor contributor. Um, about 70% of the flavor overall is coming from the barrel, right? We're taking this new spirit, we're putting it into a brand new charred oak vessel, right? We are the only supplier that owns our own cooperage, which is a huge advantage for us. So a cooperage is a place where they make whiskey barrels or just barrels for anything. And we happen to own our own. So why is that important? Well, we can design our barrels specifically to our whiskey brands. And that's exactly what we did when we first created the Woodford Reserve barrel. It was the first ever bourbon whiskey barrel that was toasted before it was charred. We actually developed a, a, a patented toasting process at our cooperage for our whiskey barrels. And the, if you, I can explain the difference between toasting and charring kind of like this. There's a couple analogies. Well, uh, anybody, everybody's made a s'more, right? at one point in life. 
I hope so. Has everyone had s'mores before? If you haven't, we're going to do it tonight because I want to show you something that you missed out in your childhood for sure. We'll have to do another meeting where we'll actually make some. Just make some more, yeah. But, you know, the difference between taking a marshmallow and throwing it right into the heart of the flame and then watching it get super charred up, it burns up, then you blow it out, and it's got a really heavy charred kind of flavor to it, right? There's that versus if you were to hold that marshmallow kind of nice and gently and rotate it and it gets that golden brown and it caramelizes those sugars. It's a big time difference in flavor, right? Between that marshmallow and that marshmallow. Same marshmallow, but now it's completely different. Well, essentially it's kind of what we're doing with these whiskey barrels. But a more scientific explanation would be this. There are tree scientists, these arborists, who have done studies on trees and they found that forest fires Trees that are around in the area of a forest fire have a natural defense mechanism against uh, preventing themselves from getting burned. So with impending heat, these trunks of the trees have a natural defense to push tap and sap and tannins and vanillins, basically these flavors that we want, they're trying to protect themselves from getting burned, so they push it out to moisten the trunk to prevent the fire from coming. But all they're really doing is pushing all that flavor towards us. And we're like, yes, bring us that flavor and we will exploit your stupidity and then burn you. So don't talk that way about my trees. <laughs> I love the trees. Yeah, no, I, yeah, totally. No, but um, so essentially what this room is, is the toasting room. These barrels go in without the heads on them. And then there's like a, a basically a probe, a, a heat rod that goes inside of the barrel. There's no direct flame but it gets so hot in this room, the ambient temperature would kill you if you walked in. You can't even physically walk in the room when the, the probes are on. So we're toasting these barrels for 10 minutes with this probe that is drawing this rich flavor inside the barrel. So now these staves are pushing, they're trying to prevent themselves from getting burned. Then we send them over to the char room and they get burnt. <laughs> so when we open up the staves on the inside, now all that flavor is right there for the whiskey to go in and start grabbing and pulling out. Huge difference. And so very unique. And now every single whiskey company and every cooperage in Kentucky and throughout the U.S. has developed some sort of toasting process because it was so successful with, with Woodford Reserve. And, and the highest form of flatter, or imitation is the highest form of flattery, so they say. So... We're happy to see everybody kind of catching up with us, but you know, if you want to talk about toasting barrels, Woodford did it first. Very cool opportunity to have that as part of our um, maturation process. The final thing that makes Woodford so unique with this, with these five sources, um, I know a lot of you didn't raise hands for Woodford, but who's been to Kentucky? Anybody? Right? Oh, yeah, a lot of people have been to Kentucky. Very. Sharp climate swings, right? Very cold, snowy winters and very hot, humid, sweaty, soupy summers. Like I was just there. It was like already winding down summer and it's still like, why did I shower today? I'm just going to walk into a bowl of soup or get rained on. It's just like, it's, it's a crazy temperature uh, swing. So you think about a lot of these rick houses. Rick houses are these where we age whiskey barrels in Kentucky. We call them rick houses. And they're just this series of wooden structures called ricks that you roll the barrels into. And they pretty much hold themselves up. But there's tin walls and roofs on, these, on most of these buildings. So these barrels are at the mercy of the elements. So if it's hot as hell outside, it's hot as hell inside that rick house. And I'm talking like, 
you go on the first floor. We went to that. We were with me. We went to Heaven Hill. That was my first time in a Rick house. And at Heaven Hill, great whiskey producer. They make tons of awesome whiskey. And it was like 95 degrees outside. So hot. And I was like, walking the first floor of this Rick house. It's just tin walls and a, and, and a wooden structure. And it felt like somebody turned the air conditioning on. I was like, this is amazing. This first floor is like, thank God we got out of that heat. Walked up the first flight of stairs and the temperature went up about 10 degrees. And I was like, what the heck? Third floor in the middle of summer and I'm like starting to feel drunk. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what is going on? I was talking to the Heaven Hill person. They're like, well, there's tons of residual alcohol in the air right now. You're just breathing it in. And, it's, and I'm like starting to get like, sweaty and hot it's like and i'm looking like i don't know looked at but like there was a thermometer or something it was like 110 degrees on the third floor and then they wouldn't let you go up higher and that thing went up six floors and the sixth floor they're like we don't even send our workers up there ever because they'll just pass out and die it's like 140 degrees up there it's just like it's just like insanely hot and then in those winter months the whole thing's cold right so during those summer months, when the rickhouses are so hot like that, there's a ton of pressure on these barrels. We call it sweating the barrels, and these barrels are breathing. The whiskey is breathing inside, right? And with all that pressure from the heat outside, it's pushing that whiskey into the barrel, and the barrel is changing, breathing. The whiskey's going in and out, pulling out color, pulling out flavor. Those winter months, not so much is happening inside that barrel. It's cold, it's dormant. There's very little interaction happening with the wood and the whiskey. It's definitely still getting some of that, but it's not necessarily diving in like we want it to. At Woodford, we have all brick and mortar rick houses. We don't have tin walls, we don't have tin roofs. We have wooden structures inside of mason, stone mason buildings that we then heat cycle during those winter months. So we never let the barrels get below 60 degrees. Summer months, just open the doors, let it go. It's gonna go crazy hot in there no matter what. Soon as the temperature gets to about 60 degrees, we lock up the warehouses, we heat the, the warehouses from the bottom with a steam heater, and we let that temperature on the first floor get to 90 degrees. Then as the heat rises, it rises through the warehouse, and then it takes about two weeks for that temperature to then get down to a, a median temperature of about 60 degrees, and we do the whole thing again until we don't have to worry about the temperature anymore and we open it back up. So, very unique process for us, for our whiskeys. Um, we so climate controlled rack houses. That's yeah. pretty unique in, in Kentucky, for sure. Super unique. Um, <clears throat> and you know, we don't. Chris has said before that like uh, a three-year whiskey from our warehouse would be the maturity level of a six-year-old whiskey from <laughs> any other warehouse, and you, you know, we can't, we cannot legally or actually claim that but the maturity level is definitely drawn into these barrels by doing that heat cycling does that make sense yeah so our batches of woodford are about five to seven years that's our sweet spot for how we pick our barrels from those warehouses and we blend about 110 or up to 120 barrels per batch which is a very small batch when you talk about whiskey but that is a bullshit term if you guys are familiar with small batch, I saw a commercial for small batch dog food. So that, there's that. It's great. Can't wait to feed that to my dog. Um, no, but we don't. We we shied away from that term. We used to call ourselves a small batch, which we certainly are a small batch. There's the reason I say it's a BS term is there's really no governing body. There's no legal definition of right. what that means. It just means 
anything we smaller than a large batch. Yeah. So you could blend 5,000 barrels and still call it small batch whiskey, which is a little absurd to me. But so we don't say that anymore. We say we've actually put on each bottle a term called proprietary batch. And all that means is that uh, for Woodford Reserve is we don't, we don't make whiskey for any other whiskey company. And at the Woodford Reserve Distillery, all we make is Woodford Reserve. It's never going to go into anything else. Well, let's taste some. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. We're all happy. This is great information. Cool. But this is the bourbon right here. So bourbon. a high rye bourbon, yeah. pot still. So see if you can take note of the fact that this has got that pot still in it. If, if that has an effect to you in terms of flavor, is this different from other bourbons to you? Because this is, you know, it's all subjective. Yeah. So stick your nose in that glass, breathe in jelly through your mouth, and, and spit out some food words. What are you experiencing as you smell this whiskey. What are you getting, Evan? A lot of wood, a lot of caramel. A lot of caramel, oh, yeah. So the caramelized sugar of the white oak tree, that's what happens when you extract those sugars over totally. time. And by toasting and then charring, the, yeah. you're gonna up the content of those caramel flavors. Yeah, caramel is definitely a huge note in a lot of bourbon whiskeys, definitely in Woodford. S'mores. Mm, you got yeah. s'mores on the brain now. Yeah. Right on. Orange, yes. citrus? Tons of citrus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely get some of that wood, some of that oak, that toasted oak note. Beautiful. But then also take note of the texture. To me, one of the things that pots, pot stills bring is that mouthfeel where it's this beautiful, rounded, really, um, uh, you were saying unctuous, but it yeah. almost has like an umami quality to it. It's like really full body. What did you say? Ooh, leathery. leathery. Yeah. Beautiful. Like, yeah. So tap some over your tongue, and now how does that experience change? Sometimes your nose will lead you in one direction, your tongue will lead you in a different one. Azim, what are you getting, Matt? Well, you already called it out. I got orange and a little citrus. little citrus. Yeah, I love that orange note in there. It's beautiful. Sure. Spice? Any, like any biking spices? Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's that rye. So that high rye bourbon is going to give you that those baking spice notes, you know? Definitely. Absolutely. I get a lot of those baking spices. I get nutmeg. I, like sometimes I get a big clove note in the whiskey. Um, some black pepper, white pepper. Mm. Oh, it's delicious. I worked at a Mongolian barbecue once and we had this thing called... Uh, I'm telling the truth now. I worked at a Mongolian barbecue. I'm not ashamed of it. I was the one on the, the flipping swords and stuff before I moved out to California. <laughs> but we had white pepper. I know it's a thing, but it blew my mind as like a young man. I was like, oh, I don't know. What, what the fuck is white pepper? <laughs> anyway. There's many kinds. Yeah. There's many kinds of pepper. Sorry, yes? That's a great question. The question is, what percentage of pot still versus column still? It varies. Inevitably, it varies. I would say, if I had to venture a guess, the closest I could give you for a percentage would probably be about 20% pot still. Um, no, 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 no. They're, they're barreled separately. And so then we can keep an eye on, we know that in the, the pot still whiskeys mature differently than the column still whiskeys. So that's, when we, that's up to Chris and Elizabeth, our master distillers. When they make a batch of Woodford, it's always about they're keeping an eye on this part is, I mean, even though we have all these really awesome, unique technical, you know, things that we do for making each batch of Woodford, there's always going to be variables. I mean, these are, these are barrels made up of, that could have potentially 33 different trees in them. They're going to respond differently no matter what.
So they're always going to be blending to taste. Yeah. So that ratio can change day by day depending on what they're testing and tasting. Yes, sir. What's that? Oh, every, okay, so that's a great question. What's the ABV on Woodford? Every Woodford expression that has the term distiller select over top will be bottled at 90.4. That's an actually, it's a really phenomenal question. I didn't touch on that, but that is again, back to consistency of flavor. I could give you, I could give you five different bottles of Woodford Reserve whiskeys at five different proof points and they'd be remarkably different. Um, just based on certain things start to sing at certain proof points. And 90.4 was kind of the sweet spot that was decided upon back then when they first created it because that's where the whiskey, whiskey was really popping. Uh, it's great to drink on its own. It's really easily mixable in cocktails. It holds up in a highball. So 90.4 was where we decided that would be our factor. Then when we taste through the line, you're, everything you're going to taste is bottled at that same proof so that you can taste a specific difference in one of those five steps. The next whiskeys we're going to taste, all we have done is altered one of the five steps that we just talked about. So it'll be a lot less long-winded. I have to just get through the, the big grand story. And then, you know, when we try the ride, double oaked and the... So and this the, is the flagship, though, is your guys' bourbon. Is this is what you're best known for. I'm getting a great cherry note on this. Oh, yeah. There's, underneath that Preach. orange, I get like a, a red fruit character as well, you know? Do you guys get that? Some kind of like cherry notes with that caramel, the vanilla? The I'm the only one? I can't be the only one. It's like cherry yeah, or in French toast. I'm getting like French toast in here, you know, like that. Yeah. It's really gorgeous bourbon. And that's why it has so many hardcore founds, which is why you guys are all here tonight. What's the second whiskey we're going to try tonight? I think we're going to move straight into our rye whiskey. Ooh. Um, I love this product. I love rye. I know I work for them, but I so would, I'll drink this until I... Maybe you guys have it. not seen this. The Woodford Reserve rye, it's got an, a green label on it, right? Mm-hmm. And why, why green? That's a really great question. I, do you know? I think it's because it's it rye, man. It's, rye is grass. We're really leaning into the grass thing. It's not thing. really. It's like kind of a brownish color. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but all the big producers are doing green for their rye expressions, which I don't get. And they ask, I heard somebody ask that to Chris. And he's just like, ah. Uh, marketing team liked it like, okay i don't know if there's an actual significance to the color choice for the labels but well, i always think of it as, as rye being grass and so that i think of green grass yeah <laughs> marijuana <laughs> um yeah i don't know why the green label but that I, i'll go with that that's a good answer <laughs> um so we just covered kind of what is Woodford Reserve in a nutshell. And um, like I said, there's those five steps. All we've done for this whiskey, the only thing we've changed, and it is a remarkably different whiskey tasting, is we've changed the grain recipe. Every single step of the process is, is exactly the same as what we just talked about. So same water, that same fermentation process, that same distillation method and that same maturation process all the way down to blending to taste. Have you, and I, I've batches. got a question. Have you ever asked Chris about, um, does rye whiskey extract more flavors more quickly than bourbon? Is the pH different in the distillate? Does it extract more or less flavor more quickly than bourbon? Do you know? You mean the, the, the grain? Yeah. Oh, as no, opposed the to the corn? Is, is, oh, is the, the rye barrel. distillate, yeah. 
is it extracting more flavors out of the wood more quickly than say a bourbon distillate? Um, I don't think so. I'm not sure. We'll have to that, ask Chris. I don't think that that because we we do our setback or our sour mash to a pH, like you said. But we're always trying to just just make our yeast strain happy with uh -huh. that pH. So that's where we we don't have like a percentage for our. You guys familiar with what the sour mash process? The, well, some people over here said no. So I'm <laughs> sour mash. Um, anybody had Jack Daniels? They're famous for that, writing it on the on the label. And when I worked here, that was one of the best things ever. Was people would come in and be like, "I really like Jack because of that sour mash flavor that's in there." And I'm like, "You're an idiot." But, <laughs> Smile, and here you go. <laughs> Not me too. <laughs> you know, it's like so good. Um, but it's just kind of funny that that exists because they put it on a label, so people think it's you know like the Nika coffee grain. Like <laughs> that's really funny to me too. I love the coffee flavor and the Nika coffee. <laughs> It's the power of suggestion, but what he's saying is that the sour anyway. mash is the same way as thinking about sourdough. Yeah. It's a way to inoculate each batch with the same strain. It's about creating consistency, so it's just that idea. It's just you take some of the last one, you throw it into the next one, right? And you guys can use up to like 30%? 30% is a high level for a lot of places, you know, 10, 20, 30. We don't actually do a, that's what I was uh, about to say was... We're not doing our sour mashing process to a specific percentage because we have that yeast that we're super concerned about. So every time we do our setback, we, we bring that sour mash to the, the correct pH that our yeast likes to thrive oh, at. Oh, that's interesting. So, so there's it might a lower a pH because the bacteria do not like acidity. So we bring that pH down. Our yeast thrives in this lower, like more acidic environment but bacteria can't, so it's kind of a good mix of just the perfect temperature, pH balance. pH balance for her, strong enough, how's that go? Strong enough for man. Pete, yeah, that was an old commercial. Sorry, it just popped in my head. Yeah, it was, you tried. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get there. Yeah. Is that common for, uh, for distilleries to go based off the pH balance and put a certain amount of sour in there? Or usually it's actually through? not very common. And I think that would go back to your earlier question is if, if they're using a distiller's yeast, then they're probably just going to go with a, uh, let's do this percentage every time because they're going to just go with this one, this worked this one time, so let's do that. But because we're, we're babying these yeast cells so intentionally, like we have to make sure that they're ready to thrive. So there's no lag time when we start fermentation. We kick that yeast in and it immediately starts to bubble. Whereas if you're using distiller's yeast, a lot of times there's only a three day window. It takes, it takes maybe a couple hours for the yeast to start going, oh, what is happening? Like, oh, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna go, I wanna eat. And then they, they go crazy fast and they eat and eat and eat and then they die. And we're just, our yeast goes into the tub and they know exactly what they're doing and we control the temperature so they just like get to hang out and just you guys just chill out here. We're going to go and like grab yourself six pack. But it's important to understand that like, um, you know, whiskey for hundreds and hundreds of years has been made by farmers, not scientists. Yeah. In the modern era, we can geek out and get really specific with these different yeast strains and these pH balances. But for hundreds of years, it's even to answer your question, like farmers are just doing what they've figured out through trial and error. They, they were like, well, last time we did about one third of the, the stuff from, and that worked out great. You know, they weren't using all this modern equipment to monitor things. You know, they were really just doing it the way they've always done it. They do what works. They did what 
<coughs> brought consistency or good flavors, but they weren't using a lab back in the day. And now all the distillers have big tasting labs where they're monitoring every single step of the way. So there's totally. different emphasis on things now than in the past. Absolutely. Um, so this is the rye. So, so what's the mash bill for the so rye? For the rye, we have a, a different grain recipe. Our rye is 53% rye, 33% corn, and then 14% malted barley. And that's a very unique rye mash bill. Uh, it's kind of a, an homage to the Kentucky-style ryes back pre-prohibition, pre-cocktails. Um, there's a lot of ryes on the market right now, especially since like that rye boom happened and like the kind of the resurgence of the classic cocktails. We did that, Luke. We did that. That was, it was our fault. <laughs> and I had a must. I had a really cool curly mustache. Well, I thought I think awesome. we were we were we had two so ryes cool. in the well. We were. I think we were one of the one we of the first Pikes bars Bill. I remember that we had two different ryes in the well at the bar. That was. Yeah. Pikes Eleven and years Overhaul. ago, and yeah. then we had Rittenhouse was like the dream come true ride for a long time. And then it got really hard to find. Pikesville just went away for a long time. We're like Heaven knows, is like we're out, and it's not, it's gone. Like we're done. And then some genius marketing people went and they went over to MGP, which was I what was it called Indiana Distillery IDL a long time ago? LDI LDI Lawrenceburg Lord Distillers Indiana Industries Industries. Midwest grain producers now. Yeah. But then they went up to. It used to be ancient in the 80s. It was a Seagram's plant. Yeah. And it was making blending whiskeys. So there's a lot of rye whiskey that's out on the market now that essentially would have been flavoring agents for blended whiskey. Seagram 7 is a blended whiskey. So they're using basically corn like whiskey, vodka base, rye whiskey, and then hanging all these neutral other grain alcohol. On it. And then yeah. they're just throwing in, like, we have this, this funky barrel that tastes good in there. So there's a ton of brands that are out on the market that are just being bought from these old rack houses that Seagram's would have used to blend, but now they would have never found their way into a bottle on their own. Same thing with in Canada. A lot of these, a lot of the same whiskeys we're talking about came from Canada, and and the Canadians do things very differently than we make our whiskey here in the U.S. Uh, they do all of their whiskeys separately. They distill everything separately, and then they, they're really good at blending whiskeys together. So, again, the rise they have... Japanese kind of use a similar method to the mm -hmm. Canadians. So they're taking, you know, today we're going to distill corn, and we're going to take all this corn, we're going to distill it, and then we're going to barrel it. So they put the corn whiskey over there, the rye whiskey over there, the wheat whiskey over here, so on and so forth. And then they, you know, let them all mature separately and then blend them together. So when this rye boom was going on, Canada had hundreds of thousands of rye whiskey barrels laid down uh, intended for going into these blends. And people here wanted rye whiskey. There was a huge demand for it. And so they went and bought it. A lot of these companies, smaller companies or some of the big companies just started making new rye brands. And now you have a 95% rye or 100% rye hitting the market. And it's like crazy old. It's like, where did you, how'd you get this 13 or 14, 15, 18 year old 100% rye whiskey is like, because nobody wanted to drink it, <laughs> like, ever. Uh, but we developed a, a, a taste for it. And I, like, there really are some beautiful, big, bold, crazy, spicy ryes out there on the market right now. But that's not what they were meant for. And I think Chris kind of saw that trend, and people were pressuring him to make a rye. He said, I'm not going to do this kind of crazy th thing that people are calling rye. He's like, I remember my daddy's rye, and it tasted like, not like this. So he did a little bit of research, and we made Woodford rye, 
in the style of the old Kentucky-style rye. So this is a, again, this is a beautiful balance of flavors. We're not trying to slap you with this big spice bomb. We want you to taste all the other flavors that are a part of what makes Woodford so unique. But again, it's definitely a rye whiskey. The, the spice is this definitely this is out front. Definitely one of my most favorite whiskeys in the world. And it goes back to me, it's not just the spiciness, but it's the mouthfeel. Mm. This has just got a gorgeous feel on the tongue. Yeah. So stick your nose in the glass, breathe in gently through your mouth, and spit out some food words. What? Don't spit out your whiskey. Spit Maple. out some food words. <laughs> what? Banana. Maple. Maple, definitely. Banana. Banana. And like grassy, soily kind of that too. Soily. So yeah. an earthiness to yeah. it? Earthiness, yeah. yeah. And so that kind of ties into the leathery note that you're talking about. You know, what else are you guys getting? Cinnamon. Totally. Yeah. Cinnamon and mint. I can yeah. smell that right away like a cinnamon. What? Mustard seed. Mustard seed. Interesting. Let's do some Shakespeare. Do it. <laughs> um, that was I a Midsummer Night's Dream reference, guys. All right. <laughs> I always, as I sit with the rye, and, and I, you know, as it, as my night progresses, if I'm in a rye mood and I'm a little feeling it, I always get, I always end it with this really sweet kind of, I think of, my grandma made these poached pears that she would like then put in she'd bake them with like that cinnamon spice so they came out of the oven and i'm like yes <laughs> wish you, wish you grab them. yeah now we're getting really romantic i love you, I love you too man <laughs> so great i love you man cheers to you guys cheers. 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 I, I know we talked about our our bourbon recipe 72 18 and 10 percent barley and if you notice, we have 53, 33, and we've increased the barley content to 14%. Now, why is that? It's very important because we want an all-natural product with Woodford. If it's going to have the Woodford name on it, it needs to be all-natural. In order to ferment and distill rye, it is a very finicky grain. If ever you see 95% or 100% rye, it... it Guaranteed, it is impossible to distill that high of a rye mash bill or 100% rye mash uh, without using what are called barley enzymes, which are just these chemical enzymes that help basically provide the sugar for the yeast. So amylase, yeast yeah. accelerants, right. essentially. Yeah, so there's no way to get enough alcohol out of a yeast uh, or rye mash unless you have we couldn't even get a consistent product with 10% i'm pretty sure the original recipe was going to be around 10% barley whatever that would we still wanted a low rye cuz we wanted to have the corn as our backbone and we tried a few uh, initial runs with 10% malted barley and the the fermenters just kick over they foam up there's it's really it's insane how difficult distillers, you can ask any head master distiller and they'll tell you rye is a really tough grain to work with. So, and that's why that there's not more rye whiskeys on the market because the grain itself is so hard to work with, so much of a pain in the ass that the distillers don't like to use it. When they make rye whiskey, they basically have to run their batch of rye and then clean out all the equipment before they can go back to making bourbon again. Whereas bourbon, with that corn as its base, it's kind of self-cleaning in the, in the stills. It's an oily fruit, and it really creates a lot of uh, – it, it just kind of – it runs a lot cleaner through the stills. Whereas rye, it's, it's kind of glutinous, sticks. and it sticks to everything. And it so that's why up, really there's, a, there's a dearth of rye on the market because it's just harder to work with as a grain. But it's also more expensive. It, it is more expensive, yeah. for sure. Yes. Oh, we can only use our barrels one time. 
So if, uh, if let's go. That's a great bourbon. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. She says, how often do we use our barrels? Um, it's a good, we could just cover the bases of wood for, uh, bourbon in general. Um, it's actually one of the highest regulated spirit categories in the world, bourbon whiskey. Um, there's a lot of stipulations. You guys know some of them? Thank you. Yes. 51% corn. That's a great one. Anyone else? Made in the U.S. A lot of people... A lot of people think must come from Kentucky, bourbon can be made anywhere in the U.S. Sorry, go ahead. Three years for bourbon? Technically, no. No. Yes. If you want to be, if you want to be Kentucky straight bourbon, you have to be a minimum of two years. If you want to be, but you have to have an age statement if it's under four years, which is really stupid and weird, but it's kind of like a catch 22. If you want to make young whiskey, you have to tell people that it's young whiskey. It's kind of a badge of shame. I've never seen one. So then you specifically have to label it as, as such. A three-year-old. Three-year-old straight yeah. bourbon. Yeah, so nobody likes to do that. Nobody, so does, nobody that. does that. Like, um, we then, as Americans, we're attached to this idea of like, Older being better, and and if you go to these rack houses though, and you we we buy single barrels, yeah. well, the, a major problem that these folks can have is over oaked whiskey. Yeah. Like a, whiskey can take way too much oak on and become bitter, so you have to be careful. Just because it's older doesn't mean it tastes better, you know. Yeah, but that's a good one. That that's a very common thought that a lot of people have. That's it's just there's that muddy water. Of the like, what is the actual verbiage? I heard somebody say vessels. That's a good thing. Like containers. Yeah, it does not say barrels, which I'm still waiting for. Some somebody will do it. Like square top bourbon. So they'll just make a box and throw whiskey in it. And just like, <laughs> just, it's gonna happen. Somebody will do it. Yeah. Style. Yeah. It gets so much more surface area on the wood. Okay. Um, the whiskey can't crate. be distilled to higher than 160 off the still. Otherwise, you know, you get up over that and you're talking about you're stripping out flavor. You're gonna have neutral alcohol at that point. We want those flavors. So does that uh, make sense, you guys? Is that because whiskey is all about retaining the identity of the grains that you use in it? So they don't want to come off the still too hot. They don't want it to go into the barrel too hot. They want to keep it in the realm of you know what you're drinking. That's you know? actually uh, really good too. For us at Woodford, all of our barrel entry goes in at 110 proof. So all of our new distillate goes into the barrels at 110. And what's actually really cool about the way we do our maturation process, the heat cycling warehouses, we actually gain alcohol percentage at the end of our maturation. We lose water. So we, we're getting flavor again it's about there's more flavor in that concentrated alcohol now right. and the angel share is definitely gone we lose about 50 percent of every barrel to that what's called the angel share you guys know that term right so that's a lot of whiskey that we're losing you guys pay tax on that like too we pay tax as it's full not as we take it out so that really sucks but it's cool whatever um uh questions on bourbon or yes sir Wow. Um, what's in our glass question. now? This smells really unique. Azim, what's your question? Go. Is there a difference Yeah, so the, the difference is like, again, this goes back to if you want to say straight bourbon whiskey, if it says Kentucky straight bourbon, made in Kentucky, two years minimum, and then anything under four must have the age statement. Straight bourbon, anywhere in the U.S., same stipulation, but not made in Kentucky. Um, 
technically, bourbon could just has to hit an oak barrel, a charred oak vessel container, and then you can still call it bourbon whiskey. Yes. I actually missed what kind we were drinking this time. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. I was just waxing on the. I don't know. Um, the next one coming around is that we all have the double oat, correct? Yes. Holy moly! Isn't this awesome? Yes. Yes, sir. You know your percentage of water evaporation through your double oat. For that second maturation. Yeah. Um, well, we lose about. Four to five percent per year, so about five, probably five percent for the double oaked okay. off of that so additional year. So we're not losing too much, but we're gaining tons of tons of flavor, really. So explain the the maturation of the so double oak. Now we're we're talking about the change in the one step of the process, right? So this whiskey that you guys are tasting now is called our double oak. This is really innovation in the world of bourbon whiskey. Um, this was inspired by actually the Glen Morangi. You guys are all familiar with that beautiful the Glen Morangi, amazing single malt Scotch company. Uh, Doctor Bill Rums Rumsfeld. Lumsden. Lums 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 Lumsden. Lumsden. What? Who? Okay, I don't know. Yeah, I got yeah. The name. yeah. Dr. Bill Lumsden. Dr. Bill. Um, <laughs> he's really well known for doing what he did with Glen Rangie and doing these incredible finishes on his whiskey, you know, and putting his whiskeys after they've matured in, in ex uh, bourbon barrels or American whiskey barrels into sherry casks or different wine casks and getting these incredible finishes on the, uh, on the whiskeys. And our master stiller, Chris, was actually really good friends with Dr. Bill because Brown Foreman used to be the sole importer of Glen Morangi for many, many years. And so Chris actually did lots of trainings with Dr. Bill. And the way he always described it, Dr. Bill would describe it as he would say there's a, a big difference between a finish and you know overtaking a whiskey. So his, his methodology was, his analogy I should say was if you're gonna open a bar and you, you get your space and then you get the bar top and you decide you're gonna go with this beautiful piece of mahogany. It's absolutely gorgeous, big, thick slab of mahogany and you put it down and you set up the bar and then you just paint it black, right? It just, you finish it with a big coat of black paint. No, you wouldn't do that, right? You, you just buy plywood and then paint the plywood or whatever. No, you would take that piece of mahogany you'd put a clear stain on it You'd let those wood fibers really start to pop and you'd coat it with polyurethane and you'd make it indestructible and gorgeous. But that like mahogany- here at Seven Grand. Beautiful bar, I don't know if you guys know. Um, you, want that, you want the wood to shine, you want the star of the show to be present. And that was his philosophy behind his whiskeys and that's what Chris really tried to do with this is anytime Chris does a, a weird finish on Woodford for our master's collection or we've put out something that's Anytime it says Woodford Reserve, this or that, it's really about the backbone of Woodford Reserve really being the star, but how can we play with that? Well, we just said we have to use new, new barrels every time. We can't, use, we can't use a sherry barrel and still have bourbon whiskey because then it's not bourbon whiskey. His idea was to kind of find a loophole. Because we own a cooperage, we can go back in. We designed a second barrel for Woodford Double Oaked. A brand new barrel again, but this time it's heavily, heavily, heavily toasted and flash charred, very light char. Still a charred barrel, so we still have a charred new oak barrel, but this time with that toasting process, we toast for 40 minutes, and then we flash char for five seconds. 
So drawing those flavors to the surface, the interior surface yes. of the wood, and then doing a very light char. Yeah, just breaking open those staves just enough so that all that rich, good flavor we want is right there. Then what we do is we take, basically, I could just take the Woodford bourbon and it, it'd be no different than me taking this bottle and dumping it into that barrel with a whole bunch of bottles. It's a batch of Woodford. We take a fully matured, ready to rock batch of Woodford Reserve and we take that batch and then we barrel it all back up in these new double oak barrels and we mature for an additional year. What you have is like pure magic. You can, you can tell by the color on this whiskey, it's, it's really, really dark red. So we make these flavor wheels. I, I'm ashamed I didn't bring some tonight. You guys uh, have really cool flavor wheels at Woodford. Yeah, we make these. We're the first, actually, we're the first whiskey company to do flavor wheels for our whiskeys, which is cool. Um, and now it's another trending thing that we're doing, so we're so cool. Um, but the, so we, we're really proud of our Woodford bourbon being in like, a, and we call it a perfectly balanced bourbon. So we're in this lovely harmony of flavors inside of our bourbon. And not at all the case here. With the double oaked, intentionally we have, if you could see, I wish I brought one. We have a flavor wheel for the double oaked and half of our flavor wheel is dedicated to the sweet aromatic category. It's definitely, I call it kind of like my dessert bourbon. Um, but it's definitely not just for dessert. I mean, it is a delicious treat. What did you get, Evan? Did you taste it? It's a caramel bomb. Caramel yeah. bomb. Yeah. But it still has a little bit of Oh, it's really oaky. Yeah. Really beautiful. And it's amazing that that's just one year additional. With so that brand new barrel. For me, I, on top of that cherry and orange, I'm getting like a chocolate and an earthiness. The earthiness comes through even more. It's like that soil. It's like the charred marshmallow. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, totally. What was your question? What do you guys do with your barrels once they finish? It's a whole different market. I mean, there is a, there is big business in, in whiskey barrels coming out of Kentucky and bourbon barrels in general. Um, we own... Well, Brown Foreman owns many different things. We have some tequila brands. We have some Scotch brands. Uh, we have an Irish brand that just came out. And uh, a lot of those barrels are being sold to our other producers um, to age our tequilas or to age some of our scotches. Uh, ben Riak, the Glen Glassau, Glen Dronic. Um, Love that. Slane, we do. Uh, Slane is a new Irish whiskey from uh, Brown Foreman that has virgin oak, first fill, ex-jack Daniels barrels, and then Oloroso sherry barrels. Wow, I want to like, try that. You guys don't have Slane here? Do we have Slane here, Evan? No, we don't have it yet. Does it have distribution in, yeah, in SoCal? S-L-A-N-E. It's named after the Welcome Slane Castle in Ireland, which is like a rock and roll mecca. Okay. Okay, and, uh, we'll have to check it out. It's really cool. It's a it's a pretty new brand and uh, it's very unique. We'll uh, have so, to get them in a whiskey. Society. But there's other. I mean, there's other. Um, yeah, I know that I can get the the guy out here for you. Um, Please do. But like, there's you know, we sell to department stores and boutiques, and there's people turning our barrels into. Uh, I saw the other day there was like some brown foreman barrels that were being turned into. Uh, Smoking chips for like barbecues. Yeah, Jack Daniels barrels are some of the most commonly used barrels in the world. Yeah, they're everywhere. There's like millions of them. Yeah, yeah. 
And Jack Daniels, I mean, they're a huge brand, but they are still like just as hands-on as, as ever. Yeah, yeah. There's there are two people that work at the Jack Daniels distillery that their entire job is to make maple charcoal every single day. Yeah, they're just burning wood all day long. Just burn wood, run around with hoses. Make huge stacks of maple charcoal so they can do the charcoal mellowing that's so unique to Jack Daniels. Excellent. Okay, now we have the big moment of the night for you guys. This is, I mean. Yeah, you want to slow clap again? We can I can do I'm I'm old and I've got rock and roll ears, so it doesn't affect me. I play drums, you know, it's cool. Um, I scream so, a lot. Screaming out. This yeah. is heavy metal moment, yeah. bro. Yeah. Super punk rock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna try the straight malt. Now, what does that mean? This is different than a single malt. So can you explain that difference? Absolutely. Thank you, Pedro. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Um, in 1934, the U.S. government stipulated, after prohibition, that there could be four designations of uh, American straight whiskeys. There could be a bourbon, a straight bourbon, straight rye, straight malt, and straight wheat. Um, they follow similar stipulations to the bourbon, rye, wheat, and malt categories, uh, all together to the bourbon category. So what we have here is 51% malt, 37% corn, and then 2% rye. Wow, that's totally unique. Super funky, weird recipe. Yeah. Uh, and again, same exact process as all the other whiskeys we've tasted today with that exception of the, the grain recipe. And a lot of people ask me, the first thing most people ask me when I tell them that is why 2% rye? Seems like a weird thing, why not just go malt and corn or whatever? Um, and well, again, I wanna let people know, so Evan and Stephanie are coming around with this, uh, you have to empty a glass for them because we've, we've, we passed out all the glass, so make it easy on them guys, show them an empty glass. Um, so the 2% rye, uh, is there that just goes back to again us doing things all naturally in our Woodford way um, We talked a lot about our yeast our yeast is trained from Creation and when we when we grow our yeast cultures We grow it with our rye Because when we introduce it we want it to be familiar with the rye. So the malt is more than enough <laughs> there's plenty of, of fermentable sugars inside of a 51% mash bill of malt, right? Obviously, malt is the, the driving force behind most uh, fermentation. So we have plenty enough of natural sugars. Um, the 2% rye is there because that's literally what we use to cultivate our um, yeast. Now, we're not going after the single malt category of pretty much anything that's out right now. We're not. Trying not trying to, to compete with Gumaranji or these guys. Not at all. And we don't think that our whiskey tastes like that either. I mean, this is a very unique Kentucky straight malt. Um, not a single malt. There's plenty of really beautiful American single malts on the market. Uh, they're popping up all over the place. And like, what, uh, you went to that Westward. I saw you have a picture on social media. Oh. Hey, love you. Um, <laughs> at the Westward is a great, phenomenal single yeah, malt. Made up in Portland. Portland, Oregon. Amazing From juice. House Spirits Distillery. Yeah. We're not going after that style. I mean, that's a very unique whiskey in itself. But what I'm really excited about with this is this. It's kind of the first 
of its kind in a long time. There's really nothing like this on the market right now, which is, I think, why it got bought up so rapidly when it first launched. So we, yeah, we, we wanted to plenty. launch this whiskey here, but there wasn't enough juice. They sold out of so quickly that here I was we planning are drinking off of Luke's party, personal stash. I was, like, I was like, we already literally had talked, we talked about, about it, it months like, ago. Yeah, I was like, this is going to be huge. I'm going to blow it out. We're going to get like barbers and we're going to get mani pedis and massages and <laughs> we're going to go nuts. And uh, didn't you know? And then I was like, oh, it's all gone. <laughs> Thank God I pulled four cases. Yeah. So yeah. we're drinking from Luke's personal stash. Yeah. What's your question, my friend? It's the same maturation. So that's so five to seven years. Yeah, for the malt. So stick your nose in the glass, and how is this different from the other whiskeys that we've tasted tonight? No, they're clean. Those are clean. Gracias. What are you guys getting? It's way more earthy. Earthy, okay. Yeah. Oh, for me, it's like a banana bread, so it's almost like a yeast eating. That's beautiful. That's great. That's great. Totally. Banana is a really common thing that's found in a lot of our whiskeys. A lot of that's coming from our yeast again. That banana note is... Um, Definitely prevalent. Uh, it definitely shows up here. And again, we're working on the flavor wheels for this one right now, but we have we don't have them printed uh, for distribution, but we have them online for us as like a marketing tool. But uh, for this particular whiskey, we're again we're shifting out of balance, and now we're seeing a, a big heavy chunk of this flavor wheel being the grains. Really, that's kind of where we we feel this whiskey really starts to pop as you. That and it's that malt and that corn are really starting to just kind of dance. It's a very much, it's a lighter style of whiskey for us. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not playful. as robust on the nose as the bourbon of the right, right. to me. It's, it's more a little, of a little more mellow on the nose. It's a little lighter. I think it, um, it makes the, the best highball I've ever had. Oh, that sounds delicious. I know what we're doing later tonight, bro. Yes. Um, I just, I'm serious. You just take some of this, like a little bit of the malt, and then uh, a tall glass, some ice and bubbly water, and you don't need anything in it. It really just lets this whiskey just pop. It just sings, and you just go, good, good, good. It's like too easy. It's so good. And the flavor really brings out that sweetness in it. That I find inside here. Oh, it's got great citrus notes too. I get orange. Oh, it's delicious. Dark cherry. Okay. Beautiful cloves. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. Great mouthfeel again. Yeah. Oh, it's really, really great. And it has that earthiness on the finish for me. It, it's really, really beautiful. Rhubarb. That's great. Like a, a, a cool bitterness. Yeah. I like that. Um, one thing I wanted to tell you guys, like the first time I met Chris Morris, um, we were at Woodford and we were in like the side room of the, the main distillery house and he had like a, a board and he was writing some numbers. He wrote 350 and then he wrote 11 on the other side of the board. And he's just like, I want to talk a little bit about bourbon whiskey production in the U.S. <laughs> like, okay. And he said, right now, and this was two years ago, which the number is even higher right now, but... He goes, right now there are about 350, there's more, but I don't know the exact number, but about 350 Kentucky straight bourbon whiskeys on the market. Different brands. Brands, yeah. Coming from 11 producers. So there's 11 producers make, and that's just Kentucky straight bourbon whiskeys. So there's about 350 Kentucky straight bourbon whiskeys coming from 11 places inside of Kentucky. And he's like, I'm like starting to go, like, the eyes are starting to open up. And he goes, let's do some quick math. 
And he goes, Maker's Mark. They only make Maker's Mark at Maker's Mark. So That's minus ten. one. Minus one. So uh, Wild Turkey. They make Wild Turkey and Russell's. They make two whiskeys at Wild Turkey. Minus two, minus one. Woodford Reserve. At our Woodford Reserve distillery, we only make Woodford Reserve whiskey. Minus one, minus one. The Brown Foreman distillery, four whiskeys coming out of Brown Foreman. Minus four, minus one. And I'm just like starting to lose my mind. I'm like, oh my God, what is this, what is this gonna stop? <laughs> you know? And uh, we didn't get down to below 330 different Kentucky straight bourbon whiskeys coming out of three places. And I'm not telling you this as a, as a bad thing at all, because those three places make some phenomenal whiskey. I mean, some of the best whiskeys I've ever had. And that's why we're standing here right now talking about Absolutely. whiskey. Absolutely. I am simply telling you that it blew my mind. And I thought about my years working here and looking at that bar, the beautiful bar, and then I started to just kind of, because I remember you and I, I mean, like, we... <laughs> I had to, we like mapped out the the wall, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and I had to go up there and I had to like arrange everything by distillery and by region and all that. And Category. when I started thinking about it, I was like, holy shit. It's like, there's so much, there's so much out there, but there's so many stories out there for why these whiskeys exist. And really it's just, you know, we need another brand to hit the floor. And it's, you know, it, it, we can make a taste different enough by pulling this part and this part. And you got a good story. Like, you know, my great granddaddy was walking down a hill one time, and tripped in on a beaver, and the beaver smacked him in the face. It's beaver smack, bourbon. You know, it's like, man. And it's like, wow. It's like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of marketing that goes into a lot of these brands. And it's just like, well, that's cool. Um, but there's really not a lot of difference until you, there is when it gets down to the, 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 the art of the distillers and the blenders. But that story, when he was just kind of opened my eyes then, and I've looked at the whole industry quite a bit differently since then. And I think one of the things I really like about our brands is that we're pretty transparent. And then uh, that little proprietary batch thing, which I'm still... It's growing on me. I mean, like, it's not small batch, thank God. But um, that is kind of their way of saying, like, we're going to do, we're going to oversee this as ours. And this is our brand. And we're not making this or buying this for anyone or from anyone. So it's intentionality. And I really like that about uh, the Brown Foreman Company in general is, is really good at, at being pretty open with what they do. And um, I think Woodford is... Just right up at the top of the list of just quality products, well-made with well, uh, a good... The thing that always strikes me about Woodford Reserve is that Chris is an artist. The master distiller, yeah. Chris Morris, he is an artist. He like does all this crazy woodworking. And when he's not making whiskey, he really loves to he's make art. He's a historian. And, and you can taste it yeah. in the juice. I think he's got an artist's approach to yeah. the art of making whiskey. He really goes for these really creative flavor profiles. Yeah. There's that whole master's collection that you guys had, a bunch of weird whiskeys. He's not afraid to take risks and create some That's really Chris. different kind Chris's of products. signature there. This is one of his master's collection. Uh, this you is your personal see, bottle on the cabinet here. The, uh, these bottles, you'll you see this You shouldn't be showing it to They're going to want to drink it now. <laughs> you guys can drink it with me. I'll drink it with you guys. Um, <laughs> This you can find these bottles every year. It's called our Master's Collection, and this is always Chris's 
whatever weird experiment he's doing for the year, and then he finds his favorite of all the experiments and does one release. And the only stipulations for him is that it's the first whiskey of its kind, and then he'll never do it again. So this was uh, like three or four years ago, I think. This is the Sonoma Coutrere finish. So it was Woodford Reserve that was then finished in uh, Sonoma Coutrere Pinot Noir barrel. And uh, yeah, yes. Let's go ahead. I was going to ask, um, I had already forgotten. What did we just drink? I want to write it down. It was uh, <laughs> our Woodford Reserve Kentucky Straight Malt. That, yeah. That's the whiskey kicking in. And, <laughs> and just on that note, real quick, next year, well, hopefully when we get the malt back, we'll have the malt again. And then uh, next year, we'll be the first producer to have all four categories of straight whiskeys with the release of our uh, Kentucky Straight Wheat. Well, will you Next come year. launch it here with us at the Whiskey Society? Yeah, absolutely. I got you on tape, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, so when you see these, though, I mean, they, they get snapped up pretty easy, pretty quick. Um, but they're not outrageously expensive. But, yeah, they're about $100 for the bottle. And the bottle of the Masses Collection. So looking at the package, yeah. like the, the standard Woodford, uh, releases are this kind of old school medicine bottle look, right? right. But the Masters collection looks like a pot still, yeah. right? It's yeah. designed to and, look uh, like those well, actually, stills. you know what? I lied. There's there's one other whiskey that's going to come in that in that bottle shape, uh, and it is out, but it will be around every year as well. So basically, okay. So this the Masters collection bottle, that umbrella. So we have the Distiller Select, and then we obviously changed the double oaked bottle too to represent a more this is our most expensive thing to make at first, so we didn't want that copper band getting confused with the bourbon, so we're like, we're gonna give it its own nice, pretty little shorter bottle so that we don't get confused as to what we're pouring. Yeah, yeah. But, so this bottle will stay, um, and then if you see a, a barrel finish select, if you see that, that will be representing that secondary maturation. If you see the bottles that look like this, the distiller select, these are gonna re represent different grain recipes. The master's collection will either be one of Chris's crazy experiments, or if you see, it'll say batch proof. At the beginning of the year, every year, we're going to release one batch of batch proof Woodford. Meaning you're not going to water it down? I'm not going to water it down. Oh, wow. So I'm you can change what that batch of Woodford, and that'll be different every year based Let's on the proof. here too. We can, I can. Let's do it all. Let's do, that. Let's do it all. Um, <laughs> do you we'll have I feel like you can Yes, sir. But, uh, not that it really matters. Yeah, right. Well, you can say bourbon whiskey, but we don't. But like uh, Angel's Envy is a really great example. Angel's Envy is a bourbon whiskey that's finished in port wine barrels. Uh, and it says that on the label. And all that they're legally required to do is have a statement of contents. They cannot say uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey and then like on the back somewhere say like finished in port wine bells. It, the statement of context must be literally in one statement what's inside the bottle. So it's got so, to say bourbon finished in a sherry cask or bourbon finished in a pinot yeah, cask. Or, yeah. That's the guy you found Lincoln Henderson. Yeah, he was our initial master distiller at Woodford. He was the master distiller for Brown Foreman for about 45 years, retired from Brown Foreman, and then him and his son opened up Angel's Envy about five years after he had uh, parted ways with Brown Foreman, which wasn't necessarily the 
it, uh, there's no bad blood. He since passed. Uh, Lincoln was a true icon in the world of whiskey. He's sure. one of the we'll original have to toast him right now. Let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> Lincoln Henderson, everybody. Lincoln. Rest in peace, Lincoln. Yeah. Cheers. Phenomenal man. And his son Wes has carried the torch and created that uh, Angels Envy bourbon, which is great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. <laughs> <laughs>